And if you will find in your Bibles 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17. Have you ever heard the phrase, how'd that work out for you? Maybe something that parents tell kids and, uh, um, you know, they make a dumb decision and it doesn't work out. Or you look back on your life and say, well, that didn't work out so well. Uh, we enter into the story of Elijah and he has made a decision, as we just sang and as I asked you to make last week, to decide to follow God. To know, Though none else go with him, he's going to follow God. He was asked to go speak to Ahab. Uh, the most powerful man in Israel, the king, and the the culture was a complete mess. Um, and he was, as we're going to see today, he was a basically a stranger to that. He was an outsider, and he went to speak to Ahab and his wife Jezebel, who's killing prophets, and basically called them to repentance. And so the culture's a mess. Um, as far as he knows, later on we'll see this in the story, he's like the only person that believes in God right now and nobody else seems to. And so he feels very alone in this, but he, he decides to follow God. And he goes and speaks to Elijah, calling him and, I'm sorry, Ahab and him and the nation to repentance. And we're going to see today, I'm, I want you to have that question in mind, how'd that work out for you? Because we have this view of God that we just, I have decided to follow Jesus, I'm going to go do what he asked me to do, and everything's going to be great, okay? We're going to find out today that God often asks us to do things that don't make sense right away. That we follow him step by step along the way. And we might at times have ourselves saying, how'd that work out for me? I decided to follow Jesus and now this is a mess. Or not only did he not change things, but the very decision to follow God made, put me in a tough situation. And so that's kind of how we, we find Elijah here, and we'll read through this. I apologize, my iPad, um, because of my how'd that work out for you moment, is not charged this morning. And so if it looks like I'm up here answering emails, I'm not doing that. These are where my notes are today. But read with me, starting in chapter 17, we're going to read the first six verses. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the, in the next few years except at my word. We covered that verse a little bit last week. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook I, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to stay at, uh, to the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for, again, your word. Thank you that it calls us to, uh, it, as we'll see in Elijah, obedience that's very often confusing. Um, and sometimes we wonder um, why or what you're up to. And so, God, I pray that the song I have decided to follow you um, stays with us even in the, in the confusing times and even in the times when we wonder what you're up to, God. So help us to learn that lesson today. In, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, point one is the prophetic warning. This, again, we covered this last week. When, when Elijah said it's not going to rain, he's not just being vengeful. He's not just being mean. He's basing that uh, prophetic warning to the, again, the power of Ahab from the word of God. And so he's standing on the word of God. That's a good point. And we'll get to that. But point A I have here is he's a stranger. 
Okay, it says in verse 1, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. If you look down, the NIV has a sub, uh, has a footnote there for that word Tishbite. And in my NIV it says, or settlers. Okay, or strangers. Um, and I'm going to give you a little Hebrew lesson here. Go ahead, Nancy, and put the next thing up here. Hebrew has no uh, vowels. So for us, no A-E-I-O-U, sometimes Y, right? None of that's in there. And so a Hebrew word would look much like that. Now, I want to play a little game with you here. If you had to supply a vowel or vowels to that, what word would you come up with? Okay, we could play... Uh, Wheel of Fortune right now, we can maybe guess them, but let me give you just the examples. So go ahead. I, we're not really playing. Come on, there's no prize money here. Van is not here, any of that stuff. Um, some would say E. You could make the word send out of that. You could make the word sand out of that. You could make the word sound out of that. And so in the original Hebrew, that word tishbite and tishbi, just the way it's translated, we could say it has a T and an S and a B and an H, but we don't know how it's pointed is what they call it. And so he is either from an area called Tishbe, or maybe the point that it's trying to make is he's an outsider, he's a settler. He's, he's basic, think King David, he's like a settler, he's probably a shepherd or lives that kind of style or lifestyle east of the Jordan River. So he's an outsider. Whether you go with Tishbe or he's a settler or a stranger, he should not have an audience with the king is the point, okay? And so that's just a fun little way that the, the river works. But he's probably, because of that lifestyle, and many people were back then, um, again, think David, physically strong, pretty tough. Later on, we're going to read, he could outrun a chariot. You know, we're going to say, how, how could, he was used to traversing these grounds, and we'll get to some of that stuff. But that's who this guy is. And then he goes and speaks to Ahab. Now that, I want you to get that contrast. This hillbilly is going to speak to the king. You know, that's, that's, that's the deal. And so what I like about it says that he said something to Ahab. He had been praying, uh, we know from James for a while that it not rain. He was basing this on God's word, but he doesn't just pray something. He says something. Okay. Um, Many times we pray for and want God to do things, but we don't do anything about the very thing he's asking us to do. For Elijah, the call was to go to speak to the king. Maybe there's situations in your life you're wishing God would do something, and I, I can't speak for God, but God, maybe God's saying, there's something you can do to bring that about as well. Say something, do something, be a part of the solution, not just praying about it. So, Elijah backs up his prayer with saying something, okay? So he is A, a stranger, I put it that way, could use settler, I suppose. Point B is he's a servant. And he says, as he's speaking to Ahab in verse 1, as the Lord, so he represents God Almighty versus Ahab's king Baal. So as the Lord, the God of Israel, okay, so he is the one that, God is the one that gave the promised land. He's the one there. That's why when we pray for Israel as we are doing these days, this is God is the God of Israel. But then he has this word, as sure as that God lives. See, Elijah understood that God was not some just tradition. He was not some fairy tale. He was the living God. He's not just the God that created and walked away. He is the living, active God. And Elijah, and here's the point I want you to get, because many of us will say, I believe God's alive today. Do you live like God's alive today? 
Do you really believe that he's active in the world? Do you believe accordingly? Do you act accordingly to the fact? Could you say, God lives? Like he's up to something right now and he, he wants me to join him in, in this process. And then he says the words, whom I serve. Some of your translations may say, before whom I stand. So picture a servant um, willing to do and ready to do anything that needs that the master or the king or the Lord says to do. And the word stand is there is literally stand, picture standing in a corner waiting for the master to say something and you're ready to serve. You're ready to jump and, and go do whatever you want. And so we have to understand not only is God living, but we're his servants. And we should, I think, like Elijah, be ready to jump at a moment's notice when he asks us to do something, when his word tells us to do something. We're his servants. It's not about us. It's about him and what he's doing. And so we need to be ready, and we need to be willing to understand that God is trying to talk to us along the way, primarily through his word. So every time, again, you read the word of God or you hear the word of God taught, God is trying to say something to you, and he wants and he expects, and it's for your best good, to say, he said it, i got to go do it. Right? That, that's the kind of attitude that Elijah has here. That's the kind of attitude that we have. He's ready. He's responsive. He's just ready to go when God says it. Now, um, James has told us, and we saw this last week, that Elijah was a person or a man just like us. Don't get in your mind that Elijah is the special super saint of God. We're going to see along the way, he's just as frail as we are. He's just as afraid as we are. But his strength is not because Elijah was some strong man. His strength is because he's ready to serve the God and trust that God will provide what is needed. Everybody's going to know by the end of the story, it wasn't Elijah, but it was God that worked through Elijah. Okay, You're, you're not called to do everything for God. You're called to let God do everything through you. And that's a big difference. And so Elijah, again, is a great example for us. The very power and source that he has, we have too. We can pray. The Holy Spirit is within us. God is working in the world. He wants to use us just like he uses Elijah, or used Elijah. And then point C is the sentence. And what I mean by this is the curse that he lays down. It says in verse 1, There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Again, that's a big deal in, a, in, a, in an arid country where it won't rain for three years. Uh, I mentioned these last week. I want to give you three verses. One's in Leviticus, a couple in Deuteronomy. Go ahead for the first one. So this says, after, after all this, again, written hundreds of years earlier, you will not listen to me. God is talking to the nation of Israel. I will punish you for your sins seven times over, and I will break down your stubborn pride, and I will make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. So God had told the Israelites way back when, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to shut up the heavens. Elijah comes along and says, they ain't listening to you. So I'm going to simply ask God to be true to his word. I'm going to ask God... To keep his word here. Again, a very hard prayer. We're going to see this affects Elijah himself to pray that there be no rain. Deuteronomy 11 says the same thing. If you throw that up there, be careful. Or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down before them. King Ahab had led the nation to do that with Jezebel. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce. And you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. One more, Deuteronomy 28. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron, and the Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder, and it will come down from the sky, and it will not come down, and, sorry, it will come down from the skies 
until you are destroyed. This is God's judgment on the people that have rejected him. The other thing about this, Elijah's not just saying, hey, God, would you keep your word? I think what, God, what Elijah has in mind, and we need to have the same thing, is God's reputation. What kind of God is it that threatens and doesn't back it up, right? God's name is on the line here. So, uh, again, it's one thing to be the rule maker, and it's another thing to actually back it up. And so when God said back there in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, if you don't follow me, you know, then I'm going to not send rain. What Elijah's doing here is, I think, out in the hills of Tishbe saying, God, they're not listening and you're not doing anything. I don't think Elijah's vengeful. I think he's zealous for the name of the Lord, which is, God, you said you'd bring people back to you. You said you'd warn them and you're not doing that. And what we need to foster is this desire for God's name to be glorified. That's the only way I can say it. it. It's easy to get confused with the things we don't like and want God to bring judgment so that they will be judged. The, the bigger question is, so God will be seen for who he is, that his glory will be known. That means some people will come back to repentance, right? That's, we want people to recognize who God is. And Elijah is going there not just to say, I hope it doesn't rain, because that's going to hurt him. He's saying, God, you said if, we, if we're wayward, it's not going to be good. And, and I, I'm just asking you to keep, keep your word here. Um, one author puts it this way. Uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase it this way. To have no rain is bad. To have no God is worse. Okay? And he knows it might cause some pain, but they need to repent. They need to, know, they need to know God. And if he doesn't act, he is no better than the idols that the pagans worship who they call out to and they never respond. And so Elijah's got a belief in the living God. He's ready to serve him. Um, and he wants him to keep his word so that he'll be glorified above all else. So that's the prophetic warning. But then, this is where we'll pick it up from last week a little bit, God's puzzling word. So Elijah, I think at great risk to himself, remember Jezebel's killing the prophets of the Lord, he's going to stroll into Ahab's presence, which you don't just stroll into the king and, and say bad things for sure. Remember, was it... Um, Nehemiah that said, I had not been sad in the king's presence before. I mean, you better have your ducks in a row when you show up to the king. Well, Elijah shows up and says, yeah, it's not going to rain for, you know, several years until I say so. Well, then verse 2 says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So A is his word. Again, God is speaking to Elijah. For us, mainly through his word, certainly through his spirit and even other people, but mainly through the word. But God... As, an, as a prophet of God, the Lord is speaking to Elijah, and point B is, not only his word, but he wondered. Let me see, yeah, he wondered, and I'm talking about Elijah here. Elijah must have thought, or I'm, I'm supposing he must have thought, let me put it that way. God, I followed you, I went and told the king, and now you're kicking me out of here. So two ways to, to I'm trying to get around this. He might have wondered... God, you said I was going to go preach and they repent and then they turn to God and that ain't happening. Or two, God, I did exactly what you told me to and now you're telling, you put me in a position where I got to run and hide now. How'd that work out for you is the, the idea here. Is Elijah is in the will of God at this moment. He's doing what God wants him to do. He's responding to God's word and he gets there and as soon as he says one sentence, Okay, remember I think I told you last week, his, his desire is for the nation to repent. And it's almost like a drive-by prophecy, right? It's like a, it's, he, it's like he got a tweet, okay? 
It's not going to rain for three days. And boom, he's out of there real quick. So he says, verse 3, leave here and turn eastward and hide. So let me break this down. I've got it in my notes, and maybe it'll help you. First of all, his job doesn't seem to be done. He wants the nation to repent, and he wants Ahab to listen to him, and as we're going to find out, neither one of those things happen. Now, Matthew Henry says this about a culture. It's a bad sign when good men and good preachers have to hide. Okay, That means the world's not listening to the word of God. And so put that here. Elijah's job doesn't seem to be working. He said the word of God to King Ahab. King Ahab is not going to repent. The nation is not going to repent. Jezebel certainly not going to repent. And it's not just leave here, but hide. So something else is going on here. Jezebel's killing the prophets of God. And so it's an incomplete job. And he says to go to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. So that's kind of back towards home. Um, and if you remember when we were studying King David, and I haven't forgot, we'll come back to King David, but he ended up in the cave of Abdullam. And I made the point at that time that sometimes God has to put you in the cave before for David you end up at the crown, okay? For Elijah, he's going to Carmel. Everybody knows the story where he's going to call down fire from heaven and destroy the prophets and the altar of Baal. But before he can do that, he's going to end, spend some time in this little brook area called Cherith or Kareth. So far from the, the, the glamour of Jerusalem, far from the arena of Carmel, he's going to hide in a little bend of a little creek in, the, in this faraway place. And what God is doing there is what I think God had to do to David and what God, I think, has to do to you and I is put us in the cave before he puts us at Carmel or put us in the cave before he puts us the crown in David's case. And so I think, um, again, Elijah may have been confused. He may have been uh, wondering what God is up to. But God's up to changing Elijah too. And one of the things Elijah is going to learn along the way is that God is the living God of Israel, that he will provide protection and provision for him no matter what he calls him to do. And he's got to learn that. It's going to be a goofy way he's going to learn it, but we're going to see. So in verse 4 he says, you will drink from the brook. I read that and I'm like, oh, that's a love. That, that just seems like a nice little thing. Okay, They're in the desert. It's not high in the mountains of Colorado or anything like that. It's not even a creek in the Ozarks. There's crystal clear down there. I love them. Um, I don't want to say mud puddle. It's, it's flowing water, but think creek or think brook. It's not a stream or a spring. It's not a river. It's just a little brook in the desert, probably up in the hill someplace where it's just a, a little um, safe place for God to provide. He says, you will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Okay, now that's weird. Um, first point about this is God will sometimes provide for us in ways that don't make sense. Unconventional. And, I, and I'm going to draw this to a close in a second and ask you, what, when you're hesitating to follow God, you start asking questions. And you say, I don't see how God will provide. I don't see how God will do that. What I'm telling you is God's got tools in his tool bag you don't even know exist. 
that he, you may not be able to connect the dots, but God knows how to connect the dots. And so this is very unconventional. It's weird that he would go to this little brook. It's also weird that he would have ravens feed him. A couple things about ravens. Um, first of all, like most wild animals or birds, they don't go around collecting food to give away. Right? They go to get it. They fight to, for it. And if they have a little extra over, they're going to give it to their kids. They sure aren't thinking, I hope there's a man in a crevice someplace that I can go take him the food. Because remember, the ravens are under the drought too. And so the scarcity of everything, but God is still going to bring those birds to bring me. The other thing that's weird about that is they are unclean. If you read back in the Old Testament, that listed among the unclean animals are birds, specifically owls and some other things, but ravens are one of those birds. So God is going to use a, a bird that's selfish, if we can put it that way, who's unclean to the godly person that's not supposed to be around, and he's going to use that weird bird to feed Elijah. Again, you might be thinking, I don't know how God is going to do this. I thought of Psalm 23 here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Elijah is in that valley. He's running from a mean king and his wife. The the land is in a drought. And God's going to put him next to a little brook. And that he, I think, wonders when is this going to dry out. And he's going to bring these unclean birds to feed me. Uh, Pretty weird deal. Now, here's, again, driving, I'm, I'm trying to be more specific with application here. Where do you think God might be calling you to do something? You think, well, that's, I don't get it. How's he going to provide? It might run out. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money to give. All these things. We start asking those very questions. And I just want you to think that Elijah is, a, is an illustration that God can provide. Okay. Um, I bet if I were to take a poll in this room, if in fact I will take a poll, if you have found in your life times when you thought, I don't know how I'm going to make it, might have been financial, might have been just emotional or spiritual or whatever, and looking back you can say, God provided in ways I couldn't imagine. Anybody want to show a hand on that? Look at that. That's the testimony of God's people. Elijah's living that out for us. Point C is he actually went. So God tells him to do this weird thing. And God even, I think, says, guess what? I'm not going to just provide for you, but these birds are, I might check out right there, right? But he says he actually went. Verse 5 says, so he, he did what the Lord told him to do. Here's, I want to stop right now. I got 20 minutes. I ain't, but I want to stop right here. God tells you to do it. Are you doing what the Lord told you to do? That's a simple question. And again, I want to be very pointed here. Does it have to do with your giving? Does it have to do with your service? Does it have to do with your sharing your faith? What do you know? Maybe it has to do with apologizing. I don't know. And it may not make sense. And you may not know how God's going to work it out. But are you going to follow Elijah here, who remembers a man just like us, and do what the Lord told you to do? Well, he did. And that for him meant he went. Exactly where God told him to go. He went to the ravine where he was told to go, east of the, of the Jordan River. He didn't just busy himself doing something. God's word said it, and he did exactly what God's word said. It is, it is something that is, his, his responsiveness to God is, is something we need to follow. His obedience is something we need to follow. Um, and not only does it say he went there, but in the last three words are interesting too, he stayed there. 
So this is where we get a little antsy. This is where we don't like to wait on the Lord. Uh, okay, God, I did it. Now check out. I'm back to my normal life. No, you go where God tells you to go. You do what God tells you to do, and you wait there. Elijah's going to get further instructions. Okay? He's going to get further instructions, but until he gets further instructions, he needs to do what God told him to do right then and there. Um, I say this every once in a while, and maybe it's because of some of the things I get to do outside of this place, but if I were talking to a young pastor these days, or I could, let me make it maybe a little more applicable to us, a young couple that's thinking of calling quits. You go where God told you to go, and you do what God told you to do. And you keep doing that until he tells you something different, okay? But so, so many times we're already, we're looking for the exit door. We're looking for the next off-ramp. We're looking for, okay, I can do this for a moment and then I'm moving on. Elijah went and he stayed. That's an important thing. And he just waited until God told him the next thing. Point three, God provided water. I've already tipped my hand here, but point A is the dirty birds, not the Atlanta Falcons, I think, is the football team. But they are unclean. One of my favorite radio preachers, Colin Smith, made a point here. And I think it somewhat applies. There are Inevitably, you're going to follow somebody. You're going to listen to somebody. You're going to read a book of somebody in the Christian world. And they're going to fall. Or they're going to denounce their faith. Or you're going to find out they were a fraud all along. Um, I certainly am not perfect. I hope you've figured that out by now, okay? God can feed us through unclean things. Does that make sense? And I'm not saying go find the worst person you can find, but God's truth is God's truth. And maybe you have a friend or a pastor or somebody that you thought they were something they weren't, or they turned out to be something they weren't. Um, but don't discount the truth that maybe they shared with you. If it's truth from God, it's truth from God. It may be very disappointing and confusing, but God can feed through unclean birds and donkeys and pastors named George, and so there you go. Point B is the daily bread. It says, verse 6, they brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. Does that sound like anything like Exodus 16 where he fed him the manna and the quail in the wilderness? Um, I, I have in my notes, hello, fresh has nothing on God. That just every day, it shows up. It shows up, and it and it sustains him through that. But point C is the dying brook, and he drank from the brook. Well, again, it sounds pretty idyllic right now. It sounds like okay, he's he's cozied up next to this little brook. He's got birds bringing him food. Yeah, he's got a king trying to kill him, but at least he's he's safe for the moment. But as I tried to say earlier, this is not a spring-fed stream. This is a brook. Um, the, the first point is, I'm glad I have the brook. Okay, I'm glad that's there. But truth be told, it may run out. And again, when we go to, and it does run out, as we're going to find out, I think, next week or the week after. This is where we sometimes want to answer all the questions, have all the questions answered before we take the first step in obedience to God. So again, I just want to, God expects his people to give and some people say, yeah, but if I give, I can't do this. We're going to find out what the widow of Zarephath in this, that she's asked to give her last bit and God provides for her. 
But what we do, whether it's, again, giving or serving, I don't have enough time to do that. If I do that, if I commit to do what God calls me to do, then I don't know. Or if I share my faith, my people, you know, if my friends might think this of me and how will that all work out? I might lose my job or whatever. I'm not telling you to disobey what you shouldn't disobey or should disobey. But anyway, but we don't do things because we want God to answer A, B, C all the way to Z. And God just says, if you will do A, I will provide for you there. And then you do B, and then you do C, and I will provide for you along the way. And so this is not an unending supply of water for him. But it is good for the moment. And I thought of the verse in Second Timothy, if we have godliness with contentment, it's great gain. For we brought nothing in the world and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I hope and I think that Elijah may have found him stuff. And, and let me say this. Is don't lose sight of, if I just have food and clothing, I'm okay. What I think Paul's trying to say is even a bigger point. If you have God, you have enough. See, God is enough. That, that's where we need to get. Not that I don't have everything I want, and if God gives it to me, then now I have everything I want, and now I'm really happy. If I've got God, I've got enough. There are... There are people that have and and currently are dying for their faith but they've got god and that's enough god's not just enough when he provides the food and the clothing he's enough when we're starving and naked and so here's elijah again we're trying to read in his mind but he's got the food and he's got the water but it's going to dry up if you look down at verse 7 we didn't read this earlier but sometime later we're not told how long this went on Sometime later, the brook dried up. What's the rest of that sentence say? Because there had been no rain in the land. Well, whose idea was that? It's, it was God's idea that Elijah prayed for, right? So he's, at, he's, at, he's, at, he's in the middle of this too. Um, and so this is going to dry up on him. And then the question is going to be, well, God, you called me here. Now what? And God's going to provide that answer. Don't get, don't get left at the dried up brook, okay? There's something else beyond that. Um, I, my mind jumped here to there is a source of water that doesn't dry up. And Jesus draws our attention to this called living water. The idea of living water is it just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. Jesus, when he's talking to a woman at the well, um, elsewhere in John's gospel, he'd say, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Elijah shows us that anything, even a God-provided brook, will eventually dry up. But God is a source of living water for all eternity. And in fact, with him living in your heart, that living water can flow from you. It's not something external to you. And so the answer to all this, Elijah doesn't know it yet, but is Jesus Christ. That's what we need to understand is the brook that never dries up is Jesus Christ. The food that is always there is Jesus Christ. Okay. And so if you think this is just about camping in the wilderness, it's not. It's about you need Jesus. And he will provide for you and he will direct you and all that stuff. Now, one last point. Um, if you can, jump over to verse uh, chapter 18. I'm sorry, I had you put your Bibles out. Maybe verse 19. Actually, verse 16. And I'll give you kind of an idea where stuff is going moving forward. Now Elijah is on Mount Carmel in chapter 18. This big showdown with Ahab and 
the prophets of Baal. Verse 16 says, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab. We'll, we'll meet Obadiah in the weeks ahead. And he told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? So Ahab holds a grudge. You're the one that came and told me it wasn't going to rain, and it's not raining, and I gathered all my prophets, and here we go. Verse 18, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have not followed the Baals. I'm sorry, and have followed the Baals. So they've made their choice. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets, I'm sorry, 400 prophets of Asherah. So bring your guys. And then he says this, who eat at Jezebel's table. Now this is where I want to get to with this today. Elijah served the Lord and spoke for the Lord. I don't know how it would have worked out, but I'm just surmising that he maybe could have said, I'll throw my hat in with the bales. So rather than sleeping by some creek in the hills and having birds feed me in a stream that's drying up, I could have eaten at Jezebel's table. You get the contrast here? Those that went along with the immorality, those that went along with the culture, had it pretty good. They were provided for. They were the top dogs. But Elijah, like us, has a choice to make. I can either eat at Jezebel's table, or I can be obedient to the Lord and hope that birds feed me. Right? We have that same choice to make. And again, to make the application here, you are, I think you know, I don't have to spell all this out, what God is telling you to do, the area of serving, the area of evangelism, the area of, of obedience, the, the killing sin in your life, the, the, the giving, all those things. You know what God wants you to do. And you don't have the questions answered. And you, if I can put it this way, you're eating at Jezebel's table. You're benefiting from the way the world does it and not willing to pay the cost for the way God asks you to do it. And I'm just telling you, at the end of the day, they will thank Jezebel for the table. At the end of the day, Elijah will thank the living Lord that he provided in ways that you can't imagine. Okay? That's a greater story and a more God-honoring story by far than just going along and doing this. So when we're called to serve, it might be costly, but that's the choice it comes down to. He may have been able to eat at Jezebel's table. Here's how I would wrap this up. Two thoughts. Do you fear God's warning? So remember, God had, or Elijah had come to Ahab and said, it's not going to rain. But that whole intention was you can repent and God would send, God would provide, but they didn't repent. And so maybe you're here today and it's just, you've never taken seriously what God says about those who do not place their faith in Jesus Christ. You'll be judged. You'll be judged for every careless word. You'll be judged for everything you've done, every sin you've ever committed. God will bring judgment there and it will all land on you. If you believe that warning, though, you can say to God, don't judge me. I accept the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Put on him the wrath that I deserve, and God will do that. So maybe this is just coming to God for the first time. If I can expand that a little bit, maybe you are a Christian, and you are a follower of Jesus, and God has said some, made some promises and, frankly, some warnings in his word about if you don't live according to my word, there's consequences. If you don't serve or give or share all those things you know I've told you to do, there's ramifications for that. Are you taking seriously God's word? And I would challenge you to go do it. Do you have faith in his word? 
Do you believe he'll provide? Do you believe he'll do what he did for Elijah? Do you believe you have the same power within you to do what Elijah did? Because he's a man just like us. Okay, I don't know where that hits you. I hope it hits you somewhere, but let's pray. God, thank you for, again, this man, Elijah. Um, he's, he's a person, and uh, as we're going to learn all too often, he's frail, and he um, is challenged in so many ways, and yet you, you uh, lead him through this, this valley that he's in now, and you lead him to great victory on Carmel, and then other confusing things, God, but maybe he serve as an example um, of obedience to you. And so, God, I pray that in this moment right here, there are, there are people who I think know what you've called them to do, what you've told them to do. And, God, they have questions. They don't know how that will work out. They don't know how you will provide. But, God, would they please trust you and be obedient so that you will be glorified in what happens It's not something they figured out or they manipulated, but it was your miraculous provision for your people as they obey you and your word. God, I just pray that we are, like Elijah, standing in your presence, ready to to serve you, because you are the living God. And your word is true. And may your son be glorified. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.